Hey folks, it's your Slatanic War Correspondent and Metal Bruv Ferris here. There is some kind of... Oh, earmuffs. Earmuffs, kids. You ready? Okay. There is some screwy shit going on with the sound this week. I cleaned it up. I spent a lot of time and heavy lifting cleaning it up. It is a fucking miracle that it sounds as good as it does. Sorry. Maybe it was my Wonder Woman bracelets giving off some sort of supernatural power. Maybe it was my cats. I don't know. But I appreciate your patience as always. Enjoy. Back. You are listening to Foxtrot Uniform Charlie Kilo. We are talking Slayer. It's what we do. It's all we do, mostly. This week's topic, we have two. The main one is how Dave Lombardo, Slayer's original drummer, the best metal drummer ever, split with the Thrash Kings for the third and final time. Here comes the drama. And after that, we have a fun little bonus story that is not in any of the books. It is about one fan's experience seeing Slayer play a tiny little venue on the South of Heaven tour. Talking Slayer is ad-free, written, deeply researched, rehearsed, edited, annotated, and member-supported with a little bit of production value. This show is brought to you by my books. I have two about Slayer, one about the movie Goodfellas, one about pro wrestling, and a couple about being a heavy metal dad, plus some other cool stuff. And this podcast is sponsored by generous listeners. I am your close personal friend, DX Ferris. D like Derek, X like X-Force, Ferris like the wheel, Xavier School, class of 1990. Talking Slayer is a weekly podcast and half-assed audiobook. Every week I read you a chapter or two or three from my book Slayer 66 and Two-Thirds, a metal band biography, the 2023 update, which is the post-mortem edition. Well, Patreon supporters, they get an episode every week. Free listeners miss every other episode, and they miss a lot of the good stuff. But not this week. This week, earmuffs, you get the good shit. There are, by my count, eight more episodes after this one. And free listeners are going to miss half of those. You can sign up at patreon.com slash slayerbook. That's patreon.com slash slayerbook. And I will tell you more about that after this week's decisive, pivotal, vorpal chapter. For now, I'm going to shut up and give you the scoop on how it all went down and went wrong and went sideways. Here it comes. So here's a quick recap. This is episode 40 of the show. In the book, we are on chapter 52. Three weeks ago, Slayer guitarist Jeff Hanneman, the man who had written Slayer's most and best material, contracted a raging skin infection called necrotizing fasciitis. It almost cost him not only his arm, but his life. Patreon supporters heard all about it. Two weeks ago, Slayer continued without Jeff. Exeter's main man Gary Holt, guitarist, 
kept Jeff's seat warm while he was healing. And nobody knew this at the time, but Jeff played his final show, well, his final songs, with the band. Last week, Slayer kept touring, and they chipped away at what became their final album, Relentless. And now, did you hear that? That is the sound of the shit hitting the double bass rig. Chapter 52, Dave's Not Here 3 In 2006, Tom Araya, Slayer's singer, told Kanak.com, K-N-A-C.com, legendary West Coast hard rock radio station, he said, quote, Dave Lombardo is acclimated back into the band, but that's not ever going to change how we are. We're dysfunctional. And that's never going to change, end quote. Slayer began 2013 with a precedented breakdown, and the year got worse from there. For Valentine's Day, Slayer gave drummer Dave the axe. After treading water through 2012, Slayer were scheduled to 2013 with a series of Australian shows All the signs said the band were getting ready to serve up their 11th studio album with or without Hanneman. Then, suddenly, the lineup lost a wheel for the third and final time. Slayer's first shocking change for 2013 was fallout from business arrangements. Lombardo had been unhappy with his Slayer paydays for years, and he had hired a lawyer to renegotiate his terms of employment. Now the drummer made some dramatic allegations that ruptured the band. And here's a recap for you. Dave had quit Slayer in 1986 after the first leg of the Rain and Blood tour. He rejoined shortly thereafter. And he quit again in 1991, or they parted ways after Seasons in the Abyss. He rejoined as a featured player in late 2001, early 2002 is when those first shows with him back was, and that return became permanent. It was a long run, but it was announced as permanent or temporarily permanent in 2003. As of 2013, full 10 years later, Dave was officially back in the band, but once he returned, he was not a full-fledged partner. He was not making an equal split of the money, though Slayer Incorporated were remarkably generous with Dave. And once he returned, Lombardo never did get back full voting and controlling rights and did not have his ownership stake in the band that he had had as an original member. And on the records that he made with them, Kerry King never put Dave back in the spotlight the way he and Jeff had on Rain and Blood and South of Heaven. But back in the band, Dave was. But, but, and there's always a but, that was not enough. So here's the story. Well, here's Tom's version of the story. Slayer rehearsed for the Australian tour, with Gary Holt still in the lineup and Hanneman still on the bench. The music was there, but the room lacked harmony. Something seemed off. Then the drummer made some declarations that struck his bandmates as odd. Araya talked about this to Corey Groh, the great writer, entertainment, news reporter, who has been writing for Rolling Stone for a long time now, but 
at the time was working for the Minneapolis City Pages. Araya told Grow, quote, When we were rehearsing, Lombardo seemed to do a 180 and said some things that kind of upset me and Carrie. Carrie just looked at him and said, If you feel that way, then why are we even rehearsing for this tour? So we wrote him a letter and said, Listen, we need to know if you're going to do the shows in Australia. If you're not, we need to do something about that. We didn't get a reply. We were put in a position where we had to do something. End quote. Here's Dave's version. The news broke on Thursday, February 21st, 2013. Lombardo announced on his Facebook page, quote, I was notified that I would not be drumming for the tour in Australia. I'm saddened, and to be honest, I am shocked by the situation, end quote. In this Facebook statement, Lombardo laid out the scenario as he saw it, allegedly. Lombardo described a convoluted tale of sweat, hard work, and no receipts. Quote, Last year, I discovered 90% of Slayer's tour income was being deducted as expenses, including professional fees paid to management, costing the band millions of dollars and leaving 10% or less to split up among the four of us, end quote. That sounds harsh. While it is possible that Lombardo was correct, and let me be clear, this is 100% speculation with no basis in any kind of insider knowledge about the band and its business, it is also possible that Lombardo misinterpreted, possibly misrepresented something. I don't know. I wasn't there. If the band draws most of its income from the road, then Lombardo's scenario seems like the kind of discrepancy they would have noticed. According to the drummer, once the math did not add up, he continued digging. In the statement, Lombardo said that he had spent the 2012 fall holidays wondering whether his paychecks from the year were ever going to get there. He claimed he had not been paid for the 2012 tours beyond a, quote, small advance, end quote. The Lombardo divorce records are a thick, thick, thick stack of paperwork, and I got them. I learned more than I wanted to about Slayer and Lombardo. The Lombardo divorce records, signed by Lombardo's attorney, but the version I had was not yet signed by Lombardo, revealed that Slayer had owed Lombardo $194,027, claimed that Slayer owed Lombardo almost two hundred grand, and said that he had been paid $112,027 of that amount as of July 2013. Now, that exact amount varies from a different document that was filed in May, but the figures are close. Figures are very close. According to Lombardo, he and Araya then hired auditors to investigate the figures in his possession. Slayer's management, Lombardo said, then refused to provide further numbers and documents. The drummer said his request was countered with a long new contract that, one, did not explain his questions about the band income and fees, two, did not provide access to the financial records that would help him account for previous financial activity, and three, 
would forbid him from making further statements about the band. According to Lombardo, he was presented with a deal wherein he would not be paid until he signed the contract. Lombardo, his story continued, next met with King and Araya to rehearse. At the meeting, Lombardo proposed a whole new business model for Slayer Incorporated. Recounted Lombardo, quote, Carey made it clear he wasn't interested in making changes, and he said if I wanted to argue the point, he would find another drummer, end quote. Lombardo argued the point. Carey King had not made an idle threat. According to Lombardo's account, three days after their last meeting, the drummers showed up for a scheduled rehearsal at 1 p.m. Once again, as in a fateful band practice in 1992, Kerry King was not there. Once again, no practice took place that afternoon. And this time, claimed Lombardo, he did not have the chance to quit. At 6.24 p.m., Lombardo says he received an email from Slayer's lawyers informing the drummer that he was being replaced for the Australian tour. Concluded Lombardo in his Facebook post, quote, I remain hopeful we can resolve our issues, but once again I sincerely apologize to all of our fans in Australia who spent their money expecting to see the three of us original Slayer members. I look forward to seeing you in the future. Sincerely, Dave Lombardo. End quote. The shit had hit the kit. Here is Slayer's version. Slayer, predictably, did not agree with Lombardo's account. The band issued a short, lawyerly refutation. It doubled as an announcement that Lombardo would be replaced by the man who had temporarily replaced replacement drummer Paul Bostaff in 1996. Slayer's statement read, quote, Slayer confirms that John Deddy will drum for the band on its Australian tour that starts this Saturday, February 23rd in Brisbane. As regards Dave Lombardo's Facebook post, Slayer does not agree with Mr. Lombardo's substance or the timeline of the events, except to acknowledge that Mr. Lombardo came to the band less than a week before their scheduled departure for Australia to present an entirely new set of terms for his engagement that were contrary to those that had been previously agreed upon. Statement continues, quote, The band was unable to reach an agreement on those new demands in the short amount of time available prior to leaving for Australia. There is more to the account than what Mr. Lombardo has offered, but out of respect to him, Slayer will not be commenting further. Slayer is grateful to its Australian fans for their understanding of this unfortunate last-minute change, and very much looks forward to seeing them at these shows. For longtime Slayer fans, it was deja vu all over again. The next version of the story is Teresa's version. Teresa, Dave's ex-wife at this point. Slayer's controversial February 2013 split with Lombardo may have had the greatest impact on Dave Lombardo's ex-wife. Later, she offered a version of the events that corroborated Slayer's account and their interpretation. In the Lombardo divorce records, Teresa claimed that Dave being fired 
was the result of a calculated renegotiation plan that went terribly, terribly wrong. Teresa claimed in the divorce records, quote, the petitioner, that's Dave Lombardo, quote, made good money with Slayer, and I feel he sabotaged his relationship with them because he did not get his way. Why should I have to suffer for his behavior? In fact, a couple weeks prior to Petitioner losing his job with Slayer, he informed me face-to-face that he and his contract attorney had a plan and that they were going to set it up to be in place one week before the Australian tour. The plan was to give Slayer an ultimatum that they either hand over the revenue documents with the contract terms he wanted or he was not going on tour. Petitioner told me he had planned it that way, so they would have no choice because they would not be able to find another drummer. The next day, Petitioner told me he was being replaced for the tour. End quote. Whoops. This is Tom's version, part two. Dave Lombardo was no longer on Slayer's drum throne. According to Uriah, Lombardo's breach of confidentiality was not only factually incorrect, it constituted a breach of his terms of employment. The singer told Brian Aberback of Steppin' Out magazine, quote, He wasn't happy, so he decided to have his Facebook rant and told the world about a lot of issues going on within the band that are legally binding and private. I thought that was wrong, and it was upsetting. A lot of the claims that he made were untrue. Part of the agreement is you don't do that, end quote. To the rest of the band, the Facebook post was not just a betrayal, but an insult. Tom told Corey Grow, quote, After what happened with the Australian tour, we made the decision to move forward and make him aware that we no longer needed his services. He was really upset about that. He said some things he shouldn't have. It really upset us and it upset me. I was fuming. I couldn't believe he would throw that out in the court of public opinion, end quote. Ariah and King made a conference call to Jeff Hanneman. They discussed the Dave situation. Together, the trio reached a decision. Lombardo had to go. And, for consistency's sake, they would replace him with the men who had replaced him last time one at a time. What follows now is Carrie's version of this part of the story. Carrie King's version of the story agrees on the timeline. Carrie, the alpha male in the group, would not be dominated. King recalled on the Steve Austin show, excellent interview if you can find it, it's behind a paywall, it's worth it. Carrie King said, quote, when Dave was in this last time, I figured I'd be on stage with him until one of us fell off the stage dead. Things change. He got some bad advice and listened to some bad advice. Gave us an ultimatum ten days before we went to Australia. And I said, I can't have this over my head. And I feel bad for Dave to this day. I really feel bad for him because he shot himself in the foot. Maybe he thought he had the upper hand. But you ain't gonna get me. Before I got home... I knew exactly what I was going to do for Australia, end quote. When he did get to Australia, Kerry King described how the band was able to move forward without Lombardo so quickly. 
Once again, Carrie King had a guy. Carrie King explained to Soundwave TV's Christina Rowett, quote, I planned on him being there up until the Monday before I left for Australia. And then I saw Trouble in Paradise, and since I'm the mastermind on making decisions like this, I was like, all right, I've got a backup plan, just in case. Because I would have hated to have just Australia blown out. Can you imagine how shitty that would have been? I love Australia, so I did what I thought was best, and we pulled it off, end quote. King also called into question Lombardo's claim that the drummer and the singer had been allied in the dispute. Even though Carey had a plan B in place, he didn't believe Lombardo would split with the band. But the singer did. King told Rowett, Tom has been on the fence about Dave for a while, and I was pretty much the one that said, nah, I'm not comfortable moving on. And then it got thrust in our face, and I took action immediately. And I got a very lucky culmination of things that happened. End quote. King delivered checkmate. Once he was released, Lombardo personally tried reaching out to King and Araya. The messages went unreturned. Araya and King were busy lining up new drummers. Drummer up! John Deddy returns. John Deddy, of course, is the drummer who replaced Paul Bostaff, who replaced Lombardo and Slayer. Deddy replaced Bostaff after Slayer recorded the Punk Covers album in 1996. Deddy, as it turns out, was in Australia anyway, drumming with Anthrax for the festival season. The replacement drummer had less than a week to practice, but he knew the catalog. Over three days of practice, his old muscle memory kicked in, and the songs came back to him. Daddy told Raquel Figlo of Big Drum Bonanza, quote, It was like riding a bike. It was like I'd never forgotten how to play them. Quote, I think that our experience on stage was such an amazing experience, just because we all knew each other, and it was almost like a reunion, so to speak. It was a reunion under such unfortunate circumstances, but under those circumstances, an amazing result happened. So it was just an honor and a privilege to be part of their history again. Deddy also noted that, despite the high pressure circumstances, the atmosphere was not too tense. Deddy had left in a fog, as had uh, Ostaff twice. Slayer drummers never leave without a little bit of a something in the air. But Deddy told Figlow, quote, They've matured as people. I think that things are much more, despite what's happened with Slayer in recent years, they've become more relaxed as people and maybe not so uptight with things, end quote. So Slayer played Brisbane, their first set with Deddy. It was heavy on Hanneman material. The guitarist had contributed writing to every single song in this best of set list. Set list was one, Disciple. Music by Hanneman, words by King. Two, War Ensemble. Music by Hanneman, words by Araya and Hanneman. Three, Die by the Sword. Lyrics and music by Hanneman. Oh, Jeff wrote that shit. Four, Chemical Warfare. Lyrics and music by Hanneman and King. Five, Mandatory Suicide. Lyrics by Araya. Music by Hanneman and King. 6. Altar of Sacrifice, lyrics by King, 
music by Hanneman. Seven, Jesus Saves, lyrics by King, music by Hanneman and King. Seasons in the Abyss, lyrics by Araya, music by Hanneman. Nine, Dead Skin Mask, lyrics by Araya, music by Hanneman. Ten, Angel of Death, lyrics and music by Hanneman. Eleven, South of Heaven, lyrics by Araya, music by Hanneman. Twelve, last one, Raining Blood, lyrics by Hanneman and King, music by Hanneman. A lot of Jeff songs in there. Nothing by All King. No All King songs in there. That was the team. Just shows you how integral, how important, how essential Hanneman was. And, you know, let's give credit to King. When those two worked together, they could do anything. And when they didn't, well, not as good. Deddy took the Slayer gig for the run through the festivals. For the Australian shows, he did double duty, and he still played a set with Anthrax. That is some mighty, mighty, mighty work. He had already joined King and Mustaine in the rare distinction of having played full sets with more than one Big Four group. In 2004, Lombardo sat in on Metallica's battery and the Four Horsemen at a live Metallica show while Lars Ulrich was sick. It goes to show you how highly regarded Lombardo is as a drummer. At the time, Lars recalled being in the hospital and being nervous and said, you try and relax while Dave Lombardo is out there playing in your band. So after 32 years, Araya and King were done with Lombardo. On the internet, hundreds of commenters had spasms. A vocal majority sided with Lombardo, and they denounced Kerry King as a money-hungry tyrant for diluting the lineup. But thousands more fans turned out to cheer Slayer at every concert. When I started writing this book, I might have mentioned this in an earlier episode, I agreed with those fans that were angry. It seemed like Slayer were always picking on poor Dave, and Dave was always getting outvoted by the group and getting bullied. So I started writing this thing, and over the course of some research, a lot of research, a lot of writing, a lot of thinking, a lot of developments, my opinion changed. And now Slayer, in 2013, for the first time, was playing with just two original members. Statistically, put this in context, that is better than Korn touring with two of five classic lineup guys, as they did in 2009, and it's better than Sepultura and quote-unquote the Misfits playing with just their original bassist, and it is sure as shit better than the Guns N' Roses version that was just Axl Rose and Hired Guns. The website Metal Sucks which is a good metal website, they don't hate metal, not good metal, responded with its trademark one-two combination of well-informed commentary and wise-ass wit. Metal Sucks created a graphic of one of the famous Slayer logos and slashed letters surrounded by quotation marks. Then it served up the headline, quote, Watch half of Slayer perform a whole concert, end quote. Ouch. The site... Also, let's, let's be balanced about this, the site also supported Chimera's ongoing existence with a new lineup that featured just its original singer, but the Slayer Barbs did represent the vocal portion of the fan base. 
Last section for the chapter, Fallout. Lombardo didn't waste time waiting for a reconciliation. He couldn't afford to. In March 2013, Lombardo decided he wanted to renegotiate his contract with his ex-wife, too. He filed a request to set aside key parts of his divorce agreement. The divorce settlement was, he said, a bad deal one that he should not have entered to in the first place, though he did. He declares at the beginning of a document, quote, I am 48 years old. I have no formal education other than a high school diploma. I am a self-employed with my own lending services company. I'm reading this directly if the verbiage is awkward. I'm a self-employed with my own lending services company, Drum Shaman LLC. When I signed the stipulated judgment, I did not have an attorney and was representing myself as I did not have the financial means to retain an attorney at the time. I also believed, mistakenly, that its support order could not be determined to be a fixed amount rather than using a percentage of my actual income. While I can certainly read and write in English, I have, as indicated above, no formal education in law or family law for that matter, end quote. And if you want to see the exact documents that all these come from and the sources, you can check the book at the end of the book. There's full documentation. The divorce records, and this is why I chose after a great amount of thought and deliberation, the divorce records do provide a really interesting and telling glimpse into Slayer's finances. As an employee of Slayer, Dave Lombardo had averaged around 200000 a year in his final years with the band, and he felt that that cut of the group's overall take was unacceptable. $200,000 a year for a band of that stature even, not bad money. In 2011, for example, Lombardo's income included around $40,000 in assorted royalties. The vast majority of that was Slayer money, with under $1,000 from Ipecac Records, which was home to Phantomus and Film. While on tour, Slayer paid him $5,000 a week, plus all his expenses and travel costs. When the band was off the road, Lombardo was paid $4,000 a month as a retainer. But now, Teresa, Lombardo's ex-wife, claimed that Lombardo was defaulting on the money that he owed her every month. She claimed that she could not pay her bills. She claimed in the divorce records, quote, The reason we lost our house is because Petitioner, that's Dave Lombardo, back to the quote, decided to leave the marriage and I could no longer pay the mortgage of over $4,000 a month on our home on my one half of the income. Now my standard of living has drastically changed because of the petitioner's decisions while he has a great job that takes him all over the world and he still basically lives the same standard of living, end quote. Lombardo responded that his family lost the house, quote, pursuant to a short sale, end quote, which is a transaction in which a property is sold for less than the debts owed against it. In short, Lombardo believed that Teresa was still entitled to approximately half of his income from the projects that he had launched while they were still together. 
but he did not believe that he should be on the hook for the same dollar amount, but he had agreed to that in their divorce settlement. As of this writing, that financial dispute was ongoing, but these are the circumstances that immediately surrounded Dave's exit from the group. Slayer, after all the song and dance, and after Dave's allegations, and after the War of the Words, and after, you know, again, those were sharp, damning, harsh allegations. Slayer retained the same management that had been guiding their career since 1986. As spring 2013 progressed, Hanneman sent Araya a new song that he was working on. Fans waited to receive an answer for when, and God forbid, if Hanneman would return to the band. Hell, Carrie King himself was still waiting for word. Carrie King told Metal Obsessions Nick Tavellis, quote, I don't have an update. I haven't seen Jeff in forever. He's always been a recluse, and he's even been more of a recluse since he's not going on tour with us. But our manager talks to him from time to time and sees him in L.A. just randomly. But I'm far from L.A., so I'm not in that loop. End quote. King said the band had begun to contemplate what was, then, the worst-case scenario. He told Tavellis, quote, If Gary played with us forever, I'm okay with that. But if Jeff got better and said, Hey man, I'm ready to play, and he came to rehearsal and he showed us he was good enough, that's his show. End quote. In May 2013, Slater fans received final word on Jeff Hanneman's status. It was the answer nobody wanted. To quote the teacher, Blastmaster KRS-One, we're not done. We're not done. There is more. We're going to talk a little bit, then you have some more Slayer content. Stick around, check it out. Don't go nowhere. So anyhow, as I said at the beginning, Talkin' Slayer is member-supported. You can learn more at patreon.com slash slayerbook. Go there, sign up, please. Once you're there, you have three options for support. With all of them, you will be among the first to listen about a forthcoming, very limited edition variant cover or two for the book. You already missed the first one. And let me tell you, if you don't have that, you fucked up. But new different ones are on the way. If you want to donate, option number one is $3 American a month. That's less than a dollar a show in real time. You can do that and you get all the episodes. Option number two of three is $5 a month. Plus, you get a cool sticker that says employees must carve Slayer into their forearm before returning to work. You can put it up at work. Producer Mitch is doing it right now. Option number three, this is a cool one, $10 a month, and you get the sticker, and you get a shout-out on the show every damn week. Slayer fans all over the world get to hear me testify about how kind and gracious you are. That's right, you get verbal gratitude. And y'all, all y'all, once your lifetime donations exceed a certain modest amount, you will receive the next version of this thing that we're doing here. You're going to get a free audiobook version of this show when it is done. All the packages, mostly. 
that'll just be the chapters with none of my intros, none of my outros, none of my chit chat. I give you very little of that. None of my bullshit. Like this. This part will not be in the audiobook version. All Slayer. Nothing fucking else. Mostly. So that is the deal. Jump on the team. Come on in for the big win. Eight episodes left. If you don't sign up, you're going to miss half of them. Next week, sadly, we will have a final update on Jeff Hanneman's status. Patreon supporters will hear all about it. I hope you're there to join us for that. This show, as I said, brought to you by my books in part. Podcast is also sponsored by generous listeners, including but not limited to these righteous cats Vincent138, Ron K., Mike B., Mark, Mark, my dude, we barely knew you. Vigard Fossen, good to hear from you. Daryl's Whammy Bar, Dave Mack, Chris the Master, Ryan Dussault, Stigma, Different Vince, No Friender of the Thrash Metal Show.com, Howard H. Smith, Talking Bollocks, Good Podcast, Paul Kellett, David Jones, Craig Bringman. Your name can be on here too. Visit patreon.com slash slayer book. Undisputed gratitude, my people. Undisputed gratitude. So stay tuned. There's more. It's brief, but it's cool. So here's a little something for you. Gino Bambino is a friend of the show. Good cat. He's one of many Slayer fans who, when I talk to him, it's like talking to a long-lost sibling or a cousin or myself. We're both from Pennsylvania, which is a no-bullshit area, much like the fabled Midwest and many other parts of the country. We've got a lot of overlap in our life as Slayer fans. A lot. I learned that he attended the same Slayer show that I did on the South of Heaven tour. It was in a tiny little roller rink outside of Pittsburgh, a place in Monroeville, basically, called City Limits, which was packed to the fucking rafters that night. It changed both of our lives. His experience was almost exactly like mine. Now, I told Slatreon pals about that way back in episode 22. Check it out, you can, if you're a Patreon listener. So Gino told me his story. I related to it, and I liked it enough that I asked him, could I read it on the show? When I say I asked him, I'm spelling axe with an E. I'm being classy, not unliterate. And Gino, of course, said yes, because he is cool. For music fans like us, this is what it's like. Gino and I did not grow up in Los Angeles seeing the band take form or having a a club we could go to every week, or take the train to, or the subway. We were just dudes living some mundane existence in the backwoods. We experienced Slayer mostly from our bedrooms, and from cassettes and tapes and albums. And somehow, when you live like that, we caught wind that something big was going down. You know how it goes, people. We caught wind that a huge show was coming to town. Uh, huge in terms of significance, if not physically, in the big city. And we go see it, and we return home changed and ready for bigger and better and more, and partially deaf. We have an adventure, we return changed. 
So this is how Gino recalls the South of Heaven tour. He's from even farther out in the sticks than I am. Little town called St. Mary's. All these words following are Gino's. Quote, so St. Mary's is a mudflap town three hours northeast of Pittsburgh. 40 to 45 minutes from I-80, that's the interstate. No record stores were or are nearby. As kids, we'd go to the Dubois Mall. They probably pronounce it Dubois, I don't mean to assume. Anyhow, as kids, we'd go to the Dubois Mall with my mom. They would write on a dry erase board behind the counter what shows were coming up in Pittsburgh. I'm guessing that's how we found out about the Slayer show. Maybe two times a year, my mom would drive to the Monroeville Mall. Aside here, folks, Monroeville Mall, you probably know it even if you don't know it. Monroeville Mall is the Pittsburgh area mall where they formed the horror classic Dawn of the Dead. More recently, you saw that in Kevin Smith's Zack and Mary Make a Porno. Huge mall. Landmark mall. Literally. That was a big deal. Back to Gino here. That was a big deal because I could get a band shirt and go to a different mall record store. <laughs> Better than nothing. I remember getting S.O.D. and Celtic Frost to Megatherian on cassette. Right or wrong, I prefer to say Celtic Frost. Do you? Hey, Gino, you are correct. A lot of people say Celtic. Correct way to do it is Celtic. Gino is a correct dude. Anyway, back to his story. My friend's dad, Franny, took us to the Slayer show at City Limits. Quick aside here, little note. City Limits was a tiny little roller rink that I've been told had a capacity maybe north of a thousand. I remember it being as closer to 600, but I was not central to the scene and I do not get out much. Whatever the capacity was that night, it was freaking full. Tiny little roller rink seeing Slayer play at the height of their powers, or the then height of their powers. Mighty. I never saw anything like that. Back to Gino's testimony. Franny, rest in peace, dropped us off and went to a nearby bar slash restaurant and hung out till the show was over. Here's another aside. We, we have people that have done that for us, right? My dad used to take me to shows and just sit there waiting for my ass to get out in the cold. Thanks, Dad. Thank you, everybody, who did that for somebody. Back to Gino's testimony. I'll shut up here. Quote, My first concert ever. If you remember, or if I remember correctly, once you got in the door, you turned right and went down a hallway about 10 feet to the ticket window. The other side was a wood panel wall that only went up 6 to 8 feet. As I was in line, I jumped up and I pulled myself to look over the wall. There I saw KFK, that's Carrie fucking King, with his guitar, 10 to 15 feet away from me. His back was to me, and not wanting to get in trouble, I let it go. I felt something that I never forgot. I was seeing it with my own eyes and not in a magazine. It was behind the scenes, behind the stage. So cool. I was wearing my Rain and Blood shirt, by the way. The show starts. I like Overkill, but I'm not crazy about them. I haven't listened to them in a while. Maybe I should. Anyway, I kind of walked around the back of the crowd watching the band and checking everything out. I had never been around so many people who were all into the same thing. And the volume 
Damn. As I said, folks, this is a little roller rink, but we have like theater size, maybe an arena size sound system stuffed into it. Back to the quote. I love Motorhead. I knew them before Slayer. Fast Eddie, Phil, and Lemmy is my favorite and the classic, but I love the Orgasmatron slash R&R LPs. I was up front between Lemmy and Phil Campbell, but closer to Lemmy. Great fucking set. It was pretty much, if not exactly, the no-sleep-at-all live LP. I stayed up front waiting for Slayer, between Tom and Carrie, but I got pushed around as their set started. This is how the set started. Quote, they played the instro to South of Heaven, and the place went nuts. But when it was time for the drum and bass to come in, they didn't. You remember that? They kept doing that. Every time the riff would go four to eight times, however many times the instro is, but they wouldn't come in. It was a maddening crush. It was fucking crazy. Like stuffing three or four people into the space that one person would normally occupy. Bonkers. That's me talking. Back to Gino. Quote, then when they finally came in, the lights came on and the place went crazy. It was in fucking sane. I was getting crushed and I couldn't breathe. I never thought that I might die before. <laughs> I had turned 14 less than a month before. The crowd moved and I moved with it, whether I wanted to or not. Damn, scary as all hell. I finally got out and went to the back of the crowd and just banged my head and watched the show where I could focus on the show and not worry about dying. <laughs> Just an amazing show. Never really saw anything like it. Saw a lot of great shows, but not like that. The only other time I thought I was going to die was the Ramon show in 91. I think it was 91. I stupidly stayed up front the whole time. End quote. Gino, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the story. Have you seen Slayer? Do you have a story about seeing Slayer? Hit me up. Lately, I've been on Instagram, Instagram slash Slayer Books. You can email me, slayerbook at gmail. Used to be on Twitter. Twitter sucks now. I think there's a Facebook page. I don't check it that often. Check the show notes. You can get to me. So anyhow, next week, things happen. Things we don't want to happen. More about that later. Talk soon. Snoogans. Thank you for listening to Talkin' Slayer, a podcast and half-assed audio book by your pal Ferris. To support the show and learn more, visit patreon.com slash slayerbook, S-L-A-Y-E-R-B-O-O-K, patreon.com slayerbook, no S on the end. Credits and crucial thanks. Podcast artwork is by Jason Shank of Midwest Authenticity Consultants. Unless otherwise noted, all the rad music is by Nige Savage, the aggressive perfecter, also of the awesome UK thrash band Chupacabra. Check them out. From the hit podcast Spanking It with Julio, the producer is Mitch Kramer, the spirit in black. The dog is Wolfie. Audio technical consultants are... Matt Wardlaw, The Tormentor, Forrest Gabbage of Southbound Tracks, codenamed Gemini, 
Jessica Baxter of the Paid in Puke podcast, and Stargate Pioneer and everyone at the Gunna Geek Network. Consultant for audiovisual affairs and Irish history is James Ferris of Massive Media. The beta test group is Vince Bloom, Craig Cohen, Steve O, your older brother Sam, Bruno McDonald, Jason Pettigrew, Outer Nowhere, Sue Madre, and Mike Olszewski. The Slatanic archivists are Jamie Walters, Tony Alberts, Spar Schmidt, Chris Bade, Paul from Dropgun, Paul from Slayerized, and Nicholas, the Slayer Collector. Ongoing thanks to metal mentors and radio dudes, including but not limited to Ed Rohr, Brian Biggs, Randy Fox, and Dean B. True. Additional Shingy, courtesy Captain Shum and the Concerned Party Lembe Squad. Expert consultation by Nate Runkle, the Catalyst, also of Yo, That's My John, good show. Howard H. Smith of Acid Rain and Talking Bullocks, a.k.a. the Captor of Sin. No Friender of the Thrash Metal Show and the When It Was Cool Podcast Network. And Ryan J. Downey, the Ghost of War, also of the Speak and Destroy podcast. Thanks, I heart ends. I heart ends all, a lot. Partial list of people that I wish were still here. Sumner J. Ferris, Nora Ferris, Vera Lehane, Ron Forsyth, Lori Martin, Audrey Sapizi, Don Olszewski, and Tom Morrissey. Jeff Hanneman too, obviously, but I did not know him personally. If you have a different opinion, you are right and I am wrong. If you have questions or you want to rap, you can find me online. At Twitter, I am SlayerBook, no S. On Insta, I am SlayerBooks, with an S on the end. On Facebook, SlayerBook, no S. Buy the book and you can find an email address in it. The book, Slayer 66 and Two Thirds, a metal band biography, the 2023 postmortem update, is published by 6623 Press. It is a very reasonably priced paperback and a very cheap Kindle ebook. 6623 Press makes useful, reasonably priced, unconventional, creator-owned books about popular culture, success, and other cool stuff. This podcast is a production of 6623 Press and Mostly Things. The easiest place to find my books is Amazon, but select retailers have them too. If you're a retailer and you don't have them, but you want them, hit me up. Thank you for listening. More next time. Peace. Fucked up in one place.